Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had. And I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design, still my favorite is the built structure and interiors and years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listened to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guests on Talk Design today are a very privileged bunch who have been at the Healthy Homes Masterclass at the Husk Distillery in Northern New South Wales. And we've got Airboss Dan here, and we're going to like try and pull a whole lot of information out of him. So first of all, I'll do a little intro going around the room. Over here, I have Luke Davies. Now, Luke's a passive house builder and is based in Tasmania and has some beautiful projects so if you get on his instagram we will post that so you can look it up and see what he works on and then we have stuart shotton from the northern rivers he has the shorten group again a passive house builder and so both these guys have some amazing information and then we have airboss dan now airboss dan is a master carpenter he's going to say he's german and he's a master master carpenter and a construction engineer now He'll explain what that means because I'm going to ask him to. 
and then Sarah Takata from the Northern, well, from New South Wales at the moment. She's a building biologist and a build consultant for Healthy Home is her business. And she's actually the reason we're all here. She pulled this group together. We've been having a conference today. And in this conference, one of the things that came up was health versus energy efficiency. And with that, we're going to dig into that as a subject. But first of all, Airboss Dan, I want you to tell us, welcome, and I want you to tell us, a master carpenter and a construction engineer, when this is a German thing, what does it mean? Tell us about that. Yeah, hello, everyone. Yeah, also, the thing is, carpentry has a long tradition in Europe, specifically in German-speaking regions. So you have the normal apprenticeship for three years, and then in the old days, you actually have to work for three years before you can apply to do the full-time retrain to get a master carpenter. So it means I had a two-year full-time retrain to get a carpenter and construction engineer. And you have different classes so you really go to depth to really high-end craftsmanship of actually how to work with timbers, same with calculations and the whole process. So you really have two years full-time training and that's very, very intense. And a construction engineer, which is part of it as well, for me, Bavaria, because it's very local, uh, has the same rights as an architect to class three buildings. So that's why I understand most of the architecture parts as well, what it means to plan a building and think ahead and how you execute it as a builder. So it's all in one big package. Yeah, it is a big package. And like a lot of people think, you know, a carpenter is a carpenter. But when you add all these things into it and the level of training, there's a whole lot more going on. So, in saying that, health versus energy efficiency. Now, you made this statement today, and I think it raised a few eyebrows, but let's dig into that. What do you, what do you mean when you say we want to have this trade-off between what's our health and what's our energy efficiency? As we all agree that energy efficiency is important, it's getting more important. Of course, we have all the energy crisis happening around the world. Global the warming. Global warming, Exactly. Still enough people who don't believe in it, but okay. Yeah, yeah. So we had the first crisis in Europe in the 1970s. So this is actually where Germany had to start. I think about energy efficiency. So the benefit out of every crisis is if you make something out of it, that you actually get ahead of the game. And so that's why the Central Europe, you're a little bit ahead of it because we had our first crisis earlier than the rest of the world. So energy is still cheap in Australia. So energy is not a big topic still in Australia. But I think health is because we see what's happening in New Zealand, the leaky building crisis. We know the asthma numbers here in Australia, which are actually shockingly high, if you ask me. Um, I think the Australia study, which is published by Jesse Clark, really brings it on spots and it's 150 pages and full of depth and detail, which talk about health and other problems as well. So saying it, the big saying is, Health is not everything, but without health, everything is nothing. And we can build nice buildings, we can drive a nice car, but if you're sick, I think everybody who cares? Is, who cares? We can't enjoy that at all. Yeah. So that whatever we do, it's all about our health and even more important. It's about the health of our kids and our family, because this is very often we care more about our kids than ourselves. And this is how humanity survives. So I think we, we hopefully progress as parents into the fact that we want better for our kids than we had for ourselves. So we've got more education and more awareness 
And so we should be carrying that forward per generation so that we stack and layer our growth and learning. You were saying about asthma, and I know you stated this today when we were all in the room, about the asthma numbers. Yes. Can you can you remember them to run over those? Yeah, so it was a bit different between male and female, but they both have been around 18, as of 18% of all kids have asthma in Australia. I don't have the document with me, so that's why I can't and tell you where the numbers are from, but they're all validated. So that's a really high number, and most of them actually related to buildings. So it means what are we doing with the number? So if you're listening, whether you're in Australia or whether you're overseas, you know, we're all in Australia here, but if you're listening and you look at your asthma rates in your children, uh, we're talking about Australia running somewhere around 18%. So 18% is a lot. That's a a fifth of the child population is suffering from asthma. That could be, and a large part of it is attributed to the environment that they're living in, which is their home. Yes, so we spent even more time during COVID. I think we learned a lot about during COVID. So these numbers are actually a little bit older than the COVID numbers. Right. So now we, it comes on top is that we had very wet summers and yes. winters. So the last two years, so now... I just have the feeling in the last few weeks and months the discussion about molds and mold issues are just starting. And I think we needed an event like this, as unlikely as it is. But New Zealand needed the event as well to talk about the leaky building crisis. Yes. And New Zealand has damage around $47 billion of damage of buildings within a country with a population of Sydney or Melbourne. Well, yeah. Yeah. So Australia is a tiny bit bigger. <laughs> But you think of the floods we've had over the last, well, probably two years at least, maybe three years, that the, the big floodings that we've had in Australia. And if we're talking about mould and most of our houses, well, there'd be a lot of houses that aren't built to the Australian standard because the Australian standard will have moved both since those were built. And then the Australian standard being the lowest point that you're allowed to build to, doesn't really cover off the need for mould protection. And yet it's one of the first things I've got a builder that I deal with a lot, and he's an insurance builder. And as he says, we just strip everything out. Like the lot's got to come out because it gets in behind the jabrock into the base frames, et cetera, as soon as there's a flood. And they, their guys actually wear hazmat suits. So when they enter a property, they're in hazmat suits. Yet the occupants of that property would go back to get their stuff out of that property yeah. in their thongs, board shorts, and a singlet, yeah. and they're walking into that toxic environment. So when you consider this and then you consider your family's health, that's what we're talking about here, this trade-off. So where does that affect energy? Mold affects energy? Or what's exactly yeah, well, so versus energy efficiency. Uh, okay. I think the energy efficiency parts could be a relatively easy one, but the approaches are difficult ones. At the moment, the approaches we put in more insulation, and she'll be right. And that's actually not how it is. So the more insulation we put into our walls and our roofs, the bigger the temperature differences between the inside and the outside. And or maybe I just go a step ahead. Before we talk about energy efficiency at all, we have to keep our buildings dry. So now we talk about two problems when we had the rainfalls. One is actually physical flooding. There's uh-huh. actually nothing we can do against it because 
Uh, we can't build high. We build higher. We could try, of course, to build concrete bunkers, but most of them are not really healthy as well. So we talk about environmental impacts, which don't happen that often. So this is kind of really once in 100 years or 50 years. What happened in Bella that never happened before. So that's a very unlikely impact. But I think that's not the problem we're talking about here because we talk about Australia-wide or maybe worldwide building standard for Australian scene at the moment is not sufficient for the, for the climate. For the climate and for durable buildings. Mm -hmm. And we know in Australia we don't have our climates. We have eight climate, different climate zones. And they're definitely quite different. We have snow and we have 40 degrees plus with 80-90% humidity plus. So we talk about fundamentally, fundamentally different climates. Yeah, well, if you took from, you know, the tip of Cairns to the bottom of, say, Tasmania, incredibly different climates, and then go over to Perth or, you know, Margaret Riverside, and again, a completely different climate. Yes. They've all, they, whilst there's eight climate zones, they're a huge range. You know, Australia is a country without water, yet we're talking about flooding. Yes, but just saying... Flooding is, is a once in a hundred years event. I think we or three times in three times in two years, okay. but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> generally once in a hundred. <laughs> so when we talk about floodings, it's we can't compare it with the building code because with flooding is kind of exactly what's happened. You see it with the earthquakes and, yes. and tsunamis. It's a different topic technically. Because we talk about okay, we have to raise our buildings, maybe we have to build out of the flood zones, maybe we have dams to actually get a high resistance for the area. So about having a timber construction building or you try to build a building like a tank, it's a, yes. it's a difficult one. Uh, well, yes, or the opposite of a tank, really. We're trying to tank the air and, yeah. and a building is in, keep the water out if, yes. if it's for flooding. Yeah, exactly. You know, as opposed to filling it with water. And, yes. Yeah. So dealing with a flooding scenario, I would definitely really say it's a different one than dealing with standard house issues, which I think... It's nice to talk about energy efficiency. It's nice to talk about ventilation systems. But I see even passive houses that are still leaking. Yeah. That's what I said before. So, so, so waterproofness is actually what we're really talking about to start with. Exactly. So I think step number one is let's get our buildings dry. I don't know any numbers, but I know that way too many buildings are actually leaking. And specifically in Sydney, I know that really high-rise buildings and these multi-residential buildings they start now to really have serious problems. And the news, you see more and more stories and news about it as well. Yep. So step number one before we talk about everything is weather titles. And what is about weather titles? Using high-quality products, which are actually suitable for the Australian climate. So that means they have to be heat resistant. Building codes are 70 degrees is good enough. Knowing that we have 90 degrees plus on the roof, yeah. we have to consider membranes which should be heat resistant for minimum 100 degrees. So well, that's 100 degrees today as well. We, we should be talking about what we're likely to experience with a three degree warming of the planet. It'll be more than, way more than 100 degrees. You yes. know, England just had a 40 degree summer. Yes. So, but of course, now we could argue, of course, as well, how much ventilation we have in your roof. The more you ventilate, the less overheating problems you will have in your roof as well. So, we definitely have the chance to fight the overheating problems with knowledge, less technology, but with the knowledge about building practice as well. So, just, just there's a term you use there, and I know this term's used around passive house up here, but which is overheating. With overheating, just give people a little bit of runway on what you mean by overheating, because there's going to be a ton of people on this podcast that are listening 
that will have no idea what overheating is as an experience and then a what they'd feel in the building but then also what it does to the building because of that temperature differentiation Yes. So I would say I can't remember now because it was a bit unexpected question. <laughs> But I know that there a couple of studies will say I think a building or a home is to put over 26 degrees. Yes. I think in the World Health Organization is mentioning, but I'm not 100% sure, so I might be wrong. But we definitely know that from the comfort level, overheating starts with 26 degrees. And everything warmer than that is actually very uncomfortable. So that's why we talk about overheating. But it's more like something between comfort, as a 26 degrees comfort overheating. But I can't tell you where the health issue starts again because I'm right. I'm not prepared enough for this question, to be honest. And I don't want to tell. Yeah, you BSC. don't want to. Don't want to. No, on the topic, so I don't want to just come up with the story. I was I was talking with a expert, passive house expert from the UK, Richard Ski two days ago and I was interviewing him and uh, he said that they were optimizing for 19 to 21 degrees is what they're optimizing for because of the overheating issue as well. Yeah. So, I know that Australia, we say roughly 20 to 24 degrees. Yeah. Because 21... We like the warmth a little more. That's why we live here. Yeah. And depends on many bodies, actually, for a lot of people, 21 degrees is actually not warm enough. It's really kind of how you feel as well. But 20 to 24 degrees is really the perfect range. But just to go back with the overheating of the wild products. So overheating of the roof is a problem because it goes to the durability of the products. The next part is um, your weave systems of the product because it takes a while to build a building. If you have a product which is starting to fall apart or disintegrate after a few weeks of UV exposure, then you definitely know, okay, you don't have the right product. Right. So having a product like a good monolithic membrane with 180 days UV resistance, it definitely helps for your lifetime. The next part is the water holdout from the membrane as well. You definitely want to have a membrane, like a monolithic membrane, that's actually strong enough to withhold water as well, because you're always going to have water behind your planning, you're always going to have water behind your roof. This is just naturally because of condensation. It's condensation, the different... driving rain, you yep. always might have a lifetime of a building, which I say is minimum 50 years. Uh -huh. that's the It doesn't mean you can't give 50 years warranty, because... Getting 50 years warranty is a not serious business. Yeah. And there are people around that say, yeah, I'll give warranty. You can say from 50, year, 50 years durability or expected lifetime 50 mm -hmm. uh, years, but we have to be honest as well. And you can't test 50 years seriously. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. simulate it, yes. That's where all the tests are done in Germany and universities. Right. So it means now you need to use good quality products. The next step is, of course, insulation methods. So it means taping overlaps, and then you always have penetrations on the roof. You have nails penetrating the membrane. You might have a chimney, and if you have all the buildings, maybe you have cables coming through, we have ductings coming through. Yeah. So dealing... People have got a satellite dish on their roof. Easy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, whole... so how do you deal with all these details? Spray from one handle it. <laughs> yeah. So you need accessory products, you need installation methods mm -hmm. as well. So that's all very, very important. So you're talking more about just rather than a product, a system. Yes, exactly. So now we talk about really the system and using a manufacturer who has actually have systems, has yes. systems in place. Proven systems. Proven systems, exactly. So now we talk really weather times. Then on the roof, now we go to the wall as well. It's the same as well. You need to make a permeable membranes on the wall, like on the roof, because you need your building to allow to dry out. 
I'm specifically not talking about breathable membranes because when we breathe, we have convection. If you have convection in your membranes, it means you have physical holes. You don't want to have physical holes. Because in a physical hole, you will have water transport. Again, so this is what you definitely want to stop. You want to have vapor permeability, but the wide range is diffusion that's happening there. So you have an active vapor transport through the molecule strain of the membranes. So is this something like, say, a fabric like Gore-Tex? So Gore-Tex is like a hydrostatic plumber's tape, is the, is the idea of it. And what it does is it can take, it needs a heat differentiation to work. Yes. So what happens is you, you put on, say, a Gore-Tex jacket, and also understand here, podcast listeners, Gore-Tex, their fabric division is probably the smallest of their divisions in the business, even though it's the one that we know about, but yes. most of it's in uh, medical parts and car parts and things like that. But with it, the idea is, is that we've got vapour and the molecule size of vapour will pass through where the molecule size of water won't come back so it's a one-way transfer because it can't come back one way but it can go out as vapor is that the same in the house yes or no so you talk about more than microporous technology yeah so the microporous technology they have tiny little holes mm -hmm. which are created as membranes we talk about membranes now they're created with calcium carbonate so they introduce calcium carbonate when they produce the membrane why the big membrane the calcium carbonate is getting more or less washed out, but they're creating these tiny little micro holes. And this hole is a tiny little bit smaller than the water drop. Yes, so the, the water drop doesn't come through. Exactly. But now we talk about Australia, where yes. we have flexible membranes and high wind pressure zones. So what is when you have a small hole and you start stretching the hole? Yeah, and, the push, getting... and pushing against it, yes. basically. Exactly. Now you have a water drop sitting on it, so that you actually stretch the hole, it's getting bigger and bigger until actually your physical water molecule gets through. So this is like you described almost like with the tent thing? Yes. So you've That's got... That's a different one, but yep. roughly the same as well as the microphones as well. The tent thing is you break the surface tension of the water drop, Yes. so the holds the water a bit bigger. Microphones is definitely a bit better than the tent thing. Right. But still like... The microporous products, what I've heard from, from a test lab in Melbourne, the pressure is too high, you stretch the, the, the hole, and you actually then have a physical water leak. Monolithic membranes, they don't have any holes at all. So that's why there's a water tight. You can, high quality monolithic membranes like the Alabama one, you can stick 10 meters of water on top, and they won't leak. Because the layer is absolutely vapor tight, uh, water tight. But the water vapor transport is actually happening via the molecule chain. And you need a pressure difference between the inside and outside. And I'm not talking about wind pressure. I'm talking about vapor pressure, which is more or less temperature difference. Right. Yes. So it's warmer inside than it is outside. Exactly. So and I always explain it that people maybe can understand it better. I always say like pinball. You send a pinball machine. Yes. This is exactly what's happening with the water drop. Ding, 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 and that goes to the outside. This is what's happening on the molecule chain. It's going to pass on to the outside. And if we trap that molecule, that vapor inside, we create mold. Exactly. I have a nice analogy, but I always tell nothing to you and heard it maybe minimum five times. <laughs> I say, of course, when you have... Fast learner, though. <laughs> when you have five degrees outside, Yes. It's a bit windy and rainy and you run out naked. Yep. It's really, really cold. Then you go to grandma and ask her for a hand-stitched wool jumper. Yes. And you put it on and it's a bit warm. 
but scratchy. It's scratchy. Okay. <laughs> I'd say it's merino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. But it's still cold because the wind just goes through all the pores. Sure. So this is what's happening if you don't protect the insulation. You have wind washing of the insulation. Uh -huh. So now you put, you go to a shop and you put just a windbreak on top, just a new plastic one jumper. And then you start to sweat because plastic is not breathable, which is yes. not the right yeah. term. Yes. But... <laughs> so it's not vapor permeable. So it means now you start to sweat. It doesn't matter if it's plastic or if it's aluminium. Yeah. <laughs> I said aluminium. <laughs> yeah, who said that? Exactly. So now you start to sweat. So you know actually your system on your skin doesn't perform. What is what you're going to do? You go to MacPack and you buy a proper Gore-Tex. Yes. And the Gore-Tex has direct contact with the insulation, with the wool jumper. And you could go running and you definitely don't want to sweat or not as yeah. much. So now you have a perfect working system. That's exactly how a building works as well. You don't want to trim moisture in the construction. Next right. question is what's in the tropics, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, that, we, we can go there. But let's stay with mold for a second and go. Yeah. Just a quick little thought is, or statement, is when you increase insulation, you reduce the drying capacity of the building. So when getting back to weather tightness and we're making things more energy efficient, yeah. we're increasing insulation and air tightness, but we're not considering how the building dries out. Right, so we trap the moisture inside the building. Yeah? Yeah, well, we're trapping it somewhere. Well, it's not, yeah, it's, we're not trapping it outside because the, the problem is when we're inside, eh? And we create our own moisture just by, by being humans. Yeah. It's a really good analogy about, about in terms of understanding breathability versus breathability. So if you think of your, the windows, the windows and doors of your home as like, the, the mouth and lungs. So as yep. humans, we breathe through our nose and mouth. So the windows and doors, the nose and mouth, and it, we sweat through our skin. So the walls of the home are the equivalent of our the skin. Equivalent. We don't breathe through our skin, mm -hmm. so we don't want to breathe. We don't want to breathe through the walls either. We want moisture to be able to. We need to be able to sweat. We want moisture to be able to pass through the walls without causing condensation. If there's some professionals listening out there, it's just an analogy to make it easier to understand for the yeah. people who are not absolutely professionals. Because <laughs> otherwise you could argue on this topic for hours. So. Yeah. <laughs> so then we we want the insulation, which is contributing to our energy efficiency. However, in that, we're also creating ourselves a secondary problem, which is unless we're letting it breathe. So at what point is the balance? Where's that? Where's the tipping point on that? What do you want to let it breathe? I, I just want the house to dry out so it doesn't have mold inside it. So because... Yeah. <laughs> Without necessarily running the air conditioning. Yeah, you can either build really badly and be safe. Yeah, but when you say really badly and be safe... Well, you just build the worst leaky... Oh, right. No yep. insulation. There's no insulation. The wind blows through. Yeah. Mold right. free, healthy, not comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think most cars and sheep are relatively happy over there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what they live in. Yeah. Or we go to the opposite end and build really well, consider what materials we're using and how they're put together. Right. And then the balance is how much insulation versus how much. Mm -hmm. 
I don't, I want to say pre breathability, but I know it isn't really the breathability of it, but that, you know, but in simple layman's terms, how's it getting out? And if we've over insulated, do we overheat as well? Just just what I said before is insulation versus airtightness. And that it's you always build as airtight as you can. Yes. That's why many people say uh, I just forgot it. <laughs> build tight, ventilate right now. I got it. Yeah. So the thing is, you always build as airtight as you can because you don't want to rely on your membranes or on bad workmanship yes. or cutting holes in the membrane <laughs> just to create any lower airtightness targets. Yeah. So the thing is, it's all about that you go to a design ventilation. Even if you have what I don't like as well, there's the vents you have sometimes uh -huh. on the windows. I think. We should never we shouldn't even introduce in the country because I think it's completely BS. They have much, much better systems uh, around the world. So but you always build as airtight as possible because if you have five air changes, you definitely know you're going to have some leaks in your building in the worst case of course. So you always the insulation and the airtight is not related to each other at all. Um airtight is airtight and now we can discuss about what is the airtightness as well. I think yeah. we won't, don't want to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, don't go too But I trust the video on the US model will be, okay, you have a plastic board, you see all skirtings boards, close fitting, and this is the airtightness. Yeah. More like the European approach is using an intelligent air barrier, which actually can handle moisture as well. Because airtightness is not just air movement, it's moisture management. You manage moisture, not getting in your construction. If moisture is getting in your construction, how does it get out again? So, right. so what's the opportunity to try it? So that's a really good one. Look, you live in a place where it rains a lot, a lot more than where we live. Um, it does, yeah. Tasmania. Tasmania. Yeah. yeah, but Tasmania is a wetter climate than, say, up north here. I mean, we've had a lot of rain in the last years, or the last year, but you generally live in a much wetter climate. It's far more like New Zealand than it is like the rest of Australia. So what do you do with that? keeping your buildings dry, etc. So the last the last couple of years we've been starting to use the Brokolima barrier, the yep. weather resistant barrier. So it just means that the pines pine's getting pine's growing faster and faster and it's getting poorer and poorer quality. So even packs of pine turning up on our building site now that has a tear in the paper. You know, when it's still in a pack, it's yep. already it's already, already falling mold. Like it's not just wet, it's yeah, you know, right. visibly see mould, which as Dan said now is you know becoming illegal. You know we can't use that material. Same with uh, trust. Same with trust deliveries. And if the trust manufacturer makes them, they sit outside for a week before they get delivered, or some type of a hold up on the schedule. You know, yeah, we're having them turn up with mould on them as well. Do they accept it back if you try and send it back? Yeah, well we've been in conversations with them, and then we've had to sand it off and treat them, and, and it's like it's labour intensive. Uh, it's Using the, you know, the getting rid of any type of permastop or any kind of blanket mm -hmm. and any type of wrap over the top of the battens. Our construction method now is get the frame up, you know, inspect the timber, only use framing that doesn't have mould, uh, get the frames up as quick as we can, you know, within a few days and then wrap the entire building so it's watertight. So at that point it's watertight. So it's watertight straight away. We've had jobs. So then we have a drainage ventilation batten and then also our normal roof batten that runs sort of, Horizontal, horizontal to that. And, yeah, we've had only last month we had, I think, 300 mil of rain in two days and we just wrapped up a house and it was dry. We've had homes that have had two, three inches of snow on the roof just with the Proclima product and they've been dry inside. 
Yep. So it's it's been it's been great for our building process. I feel a lot more comfortable, you know, being so focused on quality. Oh, uh, also keeping the, keeping our our structure sound. Yep. And it also helps our construction schedule. So straight away, as soon as that's on, we could be roughing in the house and installing insulation while the cladding's going on and while the roofing's being done, and making that process a lot easier as but well. Go beyond that as well for your your team, your construction team. They're not working in a mould a mould-ridden environment for starters. So their health's improving. Yeah. And then when you do handover on that house, the people who move into that house don't have a systemic problem that's hidden behind the beautiful paint and the jib rock, yeah. waiting to bite them later on. And their kids, we go right back to the start here, where 18 20% of kids have got asthma, which could be, well, or is, and can be contributed to unhealthy building. So you're taking the steps at this point, which is actually ending up with the next generation living and breathing better, and that takes the, the load off our medical system, et cetera, et cetera, like it has a huge long term. Yeah, it's effect. definitely a billion-dollar problem on the medical system. Yeah. Know, sick home syndrome or, you know, unhealthy living environments. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a good process. You know, mm. it, it stops, you know, if your timber gets over, say pine gets over 16 to 17% moisture content, it's not, it's, you know, it's not good for the timber and it yeah, will start to go mould. And uh, like you mentioned before, when I was having a chat and pulling pulling studs apart and then yeah. seeing, you know, wet studs in a house still months and months after it was supposed to be dry, you, you know, you definitely want to stop that. And we've had to put a stake in the ground and, you know, put our business fully behind building healthy homes. Yep. And one of the steps is to keep your structure as dry as you can, as early as you can. Yeah, I think that makes big sense. And I know, Stuart, you use dehumidifiers and stuff in your building process when things get wet. Yeah, try to dry things out as quickly as we can. And yeah, so we're reducing that mold risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, go, Airbus. <laughs> Give Can't, it to us. Because <laughs> we talk a lot about molds, the thing we have. Mold and construction phase, where we of course seize it out. There's and most times the building materials maybe not fit for purpose or the wet. But now the building is finished. Now we talk about low quality buildings, like really relatively uninsulated, leaky. Where's the mold or what's the source or the reason the cause of molds in these buildings? I'll ask you now. Water. Oh, Moisture. Yeah, eternal. Yeah, more, more in the detail. Where are the spots where you're going to have mold growth and what's the cause for it? Rise of damp from all the foundations if the homes are built for site. Yes. That's um, a good one, yeah. We'll often see it in ceilings. Yes. We'll see mold on ceilings. I imagine that's because it's the stillest point of air. You know, there's not that's the least amount of airflow as we're getting up there. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely where there's a thermal bridge, where yeah. there's, say, been a, a missing insulation or a, even a change in R value, a change in thickness of insulation. So yep. some people use a thin back around the perimeter of the home and then a thick bat in the ceiling. That's a thermal bridge. Cutouts are downlights. Really, you don't want to have, you know, if you're building high performance, putting in more insulation, you want to minimise penetrations in the ceiling. That's just a where projection can work or wherever air can flow, moisture will flow. So but you're trying to but stick just with the with the shitty buildings, with the standard buildings. buildings. And then we go to the better buildings where we have condensation there. Because that was my point. It's kind of let's talk about windows. Windows, 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 windows. Like ceiling, 
then insulation is inefficient, no insulation, and you actually have physical holes around power points. So this is quite obvious. Or we had skirting boards because you have a high convection of skirting boards for yes. surfaces. Yeah. Now we talk about the next step, which is uh, you have good insulated walls, but you still have, for example, single glass and aluminum windows with the standard installed. So now where are we going to have problems there? On a standard window, yeah. the aluminum? Yes. So a lot, of, a lot of our windows are double glazed, but there's still the thermal breach through the aluminium and they will, will still will still condensate. So our, our, our rental at the moment has that problem and we have a, a dehumidifier in the house and we tip out whenever that gets over sort of 60, 70% humidity, we turn it on and we tip out 10 litres of water a night. 10 litres a night? Oh, every morning we tip out 10 litres of water. Um, it's just a, a it's just a small a small house, so that humidity inside is you know that's what's the it's like a sponge I suppose the more a dry sponge is like low humidity yes a wet sponge is like high humidity so when that air hits a cold surface it's like squeezing squeezing the sponge and the water will form on the inside surface and that's causes those condensation problems and in the mold and the mold and then yeah. if it's wet. For you know, over sort of seventy-eight percent humidity, or would you say down at twenty percent, uh, twenty degrees, for probably like two or three weeks, you'll start. To it doesn't off. doesn't technically doesn't need a long. So it's we have different kind of mold which is not way too deep. Yeah, Tec technically, we all we all need to understand that we have mold spots around all the time. Yes, so well, they're all around. It's just an activated. So technically, if you, if you, even if you build it with mold and you let it dry out, then you can deactivate the mold spores as well, which is still better to get rid of it. But I'm just saying this doesn't mean that it's the sector. But with my window thing before, what I really wanted to say is having better insulated walls, and but you leave the windows out and you have leaky windows or you have you no know, really poor install of the windows, that means still that you have a lot of cold surfaces around the window, window opening. So very often that's what we had in Europe as well, that actually the window itself was very cold in the opening. Yes. This is when you go to Europe, you actually see that the radiators, they're always built mm -hmm. windows. Always. So that they actually create the airflow with windows that you don't have small problems. Mm -hmm. That's what we did in the 60s, 70s or before already. Let's now talk about good performing window houses. Now we have really kind of double glaze, UPVC windows that are good installed. So now you might have condensation as well. But now I'll ask you where we might have condensation there. Which I just go ahead because it's a problem we have a lot in Europe. It's now really just pure thermal enriching on. So very often when we have your concrete buildings, very often we have mid-floor connections where you have levers coming from the inside to the outside. Ah right. Passive house is an absolutely no go to have steam beams going from the inside to the outside. I see too many passive houses still in Australia we have. Steepings running from the inside to the outside, and they're saying, Yeah, they're going to insulate over insulate the steepings from the outside, which is actually a no go. I have no idea who signs it off, but just saying it's a difficult topic. So, now very often as well, if you have an unventilated building and not a heated one, or heated rooms, unheated rooms, typical spots are corners. Yes. So, that's a very typical one as well. Thermal bridging corners. So, now we talk about low ventilation rates in unused rooms, and then maybe a mistaken workmanship. It's, I try to plan, uh, I try to be as perfect as I can as well, but be mindful of your things. So, shit happens, and builders make mistakes as well. Not on purpose, even the best builder. So, it might be possible that you don't insulate a corner properly. 
have to be aware of it as well. And yeah. we all agree, of course, using our HIV system is, of course, the best way how to do it. And it will be the way of the future as well. But we still need to understand the problems, like you're saying, how it just put in an HIV system, everything's right now. We still have to address the problems. We have to address air tightness because without air tightness, the HIV system or event system, any kind of ventilation system, a balanced ventilation system, that can't work effectively. So you have to go very tight, then it can work effectively. So you know where this is all going to lead to when I'm going to ask you about tropical homes. Yes. <laughs> and we can, Stuart was saying, well, you just build it really bad and let the air blow through it, you won't have the problem. Then you're living outside, which isn't kind of quite what we want all the time. We, we want that, especially like, say, take where I am, you know, the, the catchphrase is, I want a resort-style home. And that means that the whole thing opens, you know, that it's fully open. And it might be like that for nine months of the year. And so then we go, there's, you know, a little point in going, oh, well, we're going to close it all. We actually want to open it all and get airflow through it. So we brought this up earlier as well, yes. is how do we best work with that? Because when we do close it, we actually want it to be closed. We do want the air tightness at that point. We want to control the indoor environment. Yeah. It means we want to move from uncontrolled air movement to controlled air movement. And what I said before as well, now of course we can argue if you want to open your windows when you're 40 degrees on the outside, if you could have 22, 23 degrees on the inside as well. It's a personal sure. experience. Everyone yes. inside by himself. Just saying is, a bit bluntly spoken, I heard here from other people, and it's, it's a bit of a bad excuse saying, yeah, my doors are opening most of the year anyway. Like, yeah, but what is... Well, going on if you don't open them. Mm. So are you still happy if you close them, but it still feels like they're open? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Are you, are, is the house working? So I'm, I'm laughing right now because yeah. we, it's, a, it's a fun round here. <laughs> I don't want to be blunt, sorry. <laughs> but it's a very good point. Like, it is a really good point, you know. As I say, we want to be able to close the house and it to operate in one way. And then we want it to be open, and we'd really like it to operate at work like it was when it was closed. Yes. and have But we most, know that won't happen. Yes. But I have the most Aussie argument anyway. Yes. It's just like an airtight building is an absolutely vermin-free building. Right. Eat that. <laughs> <laughs> so no spiders and snakes. Yeah. Oh. And no ants and, and cockroaches? cockroaches, nothing. They, they fly through the open window, yes, but if you close the windows and doors... If you close all gaps, that's about the airtime. It's yeah. in time. So, for example, now I can't let my wife and kids listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, technically, I say as well, you get a healthy home, a little vermin free home, and you get energy efficiency on top for free. Yes. That's more or less what it is. Yeah. So, energy sufficiency is very often not the argument to drive conversations anyway, because it's very, everyone has a different approach. So, some people say, ah, oh, barely pay anything for heating, yeah, okay, because you freeze or you have five layers of clothing. So yeah. I have a, a, a like a design solution that I think that works for this, which is we overbuild for starters in size in Australia. We hugely overbuild. If we were to pull the footprints of our homes in tropical areas, if we were to pull the footprint down quite tight and then create bigger open outdoor areas where we're saying that we want to live in our resort-style home, we can maintain a core of the house, which we can do passive. And yes, it will get more exchanges of air because we will come and go. 
but we can put more on the outside of our house that for nine months of the year we're going to use. You know, I often say to people, how many places are you eating meals in this thing? You know, you've got the island in the kitchen, you've got the thing outside, you've got the kitchen outside, you've got a kitchen inside, you've got a butler's pantry. Well, most people are flat out getting three meals a day and you've got spaces to eat like about seven in your home. And who's cleaning all the space? Yeah, exactly. Cleaning them and who's paying for all the food and who's cooking it all. So if we got ourselves back to a bit simpler, instead of trying to make repeated spots everywhere, and we created a decent outdoor area that was where we can live for a large portion of the year and under deep eaves, under good cover, and be able to to block that off from flies and stuff like that as well, be able to screen it for when we want to, and then create a smaller footprint inside our house and then we'll ventilate our roofs in there as well. But make that so that that piece of the house is cheaper to, won't be cheaper to build, but there's less of it to build. So you can do it better and then have larger outdoor areas and just transition from them more gently. Don't, don't have them one being the other constantly. Yeah, I think specifically when we talk about energy efficiency, I think we're all aware that Australia has the worst carbon footprint per person per capita in the world. In the world. Mm. We build the biggest, we have the biggest square meter right per person or per capita in the world as well, even worse in America. Yes. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of things we can improve. And But of course, it's everyone's own decision if you want to build a big house or not. Because the thing is, in Germany, they really try to regulate it hard, specifically the Greens. I think, okay, that's, I don't want to tell people what to do, but I think it's important to think about it. So I live in a relatively small flat in Sydney. So I decided, okay, I have a really small flat in Ocean View. Mm-hmm. So we talk about maybe 50 square meters. Okay, um, to be honest, I work a lot. I spend a lot of time traveling, but even my missus as well. You don't need a big flat to have a good life and have a comfortable life. Honestly, my flat is not comfortable because I have single glass windows full face to the ocean. So it means... It's very cold in it. <laughs> <laughs> that could be improved. Could be improved, but I just say you don't. As a, I think you don't need a big house to have a comfortable life. No, I, I think that something I've certainly noticed from clients' expectations, especially, uh, I'd say post those first two years of COVID. We're not out of COVID yet, but post those first two years of COVID, mm-hmm. is that people are going, "How do I make this whole compound?" You know, this whatever size their block is, is they want it to be their own absolute castle and it has everything in it. You know, it's got a sauna, it's got a pool, it's got a steam room, it's got a wine cellar. It's it's like going down to town, except it's all in this one house, Um, you know, and they want a bar so they can have this mood change and they want this like a spa over here so they can feel relaxed and they're trying to jam all this into one space. And then when we had lockdowns, it had to become a school and an office as well. And so we're asking an awful lot from houses that we can do, but it comes at enormous cost. And with, you know, upwardly mobile bloody costs on building, it's it's just a growing cost all the time. And there should be some rationalisation that goes, how do we get the best out of it for our climate first? And, and for ourselves as humans, but then our climate is the next thing. I think maybe we've got a little bit off the track now, but who are the people who suffer the most from all these issues and building issues? When we when we're honest, they're not wealthy people because mm. 
um, people with more money, they can afford a dehumidifier, they can afford maybe an air consistent, whatever it is. So we talk about social housing and most people who don't have the income who can afford proper health insurance. But these are the people who suffer the most of these problems. So now we talk about the next step is kind of, I don't know if it's appropriate for me from Germany to say it, but that the building code is not up to a level where you say, okay, actually building code prevents healthy buildings for everyone. So now whose responsibility is it then? Yeah, good question. So is it then the resp responsibility of the architect or a builder or someone like me is walking around a bit on Instagram? Or the thing is, the biggest question is how we get healthy buildings for everyone and not just for the elite of people who actually can afford it, having a lot of, yeah. That's a big, that's a big rock to look under, isn't it? <laughs> Lift that one up. Oh. So my, my answer is relatively simple because there are too many countries in the world who do it right and we know it's actually relatively simple. So let's, I don't think there's anything we have to be afraid of, but I think it's an important question. How we make, how do we make healthy buildings accessible to everyone without yeah. massive extra costs? Yeah. It's not needed. Yeah, it can be done. I think that's a great subject for another podcast though, guys, is very I've got some very strong views around that. <laughs> oh, of course. So you all heard that from Zara. She's up for this one. <laughs> um, she'll have a strong opinion. Hey, oh, guys. Better prepared than next time. Yeah. <laughs> guys, that was fantastic. And for all you people listening out there, we will post all the socials, but I would love you to write in, ask for more questions around it, things that you thought were controversial would be a good good way of putting it where it suits, where it doesn't suit, the guys would be more than happy to answer your questions. I think that the shocking thing there was the amount of asthma. And that's a, a really easy one because we know it. The stuff that we don't know is probably way more shocking. But that just is an easy one that we do know um, is something that we could be preventing really, really, really easily by just building better and using better insulation and better ability Ability. Breathing is important. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the key things are waterproofness first. So get it waterproof yes. and then get it wrapped up and make sure it doesn't have mold in it along the way. Yes. And then go from there to what else we have to add beyond that. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So most important steps. And of course, whoever's listening, feel free to follow me on Instagram, Airbostan. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Airbostan as well. Feel free to send me some pictures. You can send me plenty of horror pics as well because it's always interesting. I take it actually, I mean, actually serious because I think we have to really start talking about the problems in Australia because mm -hmm. this is where Australia, New Zealand is ahead because New Zealand has a leaky building crisis and yeah. we don't. Yeah. So we really have to talk about it to address the problems that more people talk about it and then we're going to find the solutions because we have the solutions but no one's talking about it mm -hmm. and everyone who heard about the problems it's just oh yeah i know someone who knows someone who has the problems but i really would like to see the problems and evidence i don't care about names i don't want to know who built it i just want to see the facts yeah and the new problems coming up on the horizon of the building code and a few building code changes like bell of set houses were completely sealed on the outside so when you run hydrostatic analysis on these buildings technically they should create lots of problems you're just waiting, or I'm just waiting for the evidence. I don't so, hope it will happen, but... So please follow Dan on his Airbus Dan site. 
And as I say, we'll post those uh, those socials so that you can do that and overload them with pictures of horror shows and also some of the beautiful things in life. Of course. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. It was a fabulous episode. Cheers. Fun. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.